Let us pray. Almighty and holy God, draw near to us this day and instill in our hearts love for your name. Help us to know you more deeply and to be refreshed by you continually that we would joyfully serve you in our serving of others and that you would always call us to yourself to know you more deeply. All of this we do ask through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was in the third grade, approximately, my memory's a little fuzzy at that point, my mom decided to let me start taking piano lessons. As far back as I can remember, I remember always loving to doodle on the piano that we had, just banging away on the keys and acting like I was playing some song, though I had no clue what I was doing. But there was a love, a desire to do something with that. And so I'd seen my brothers take music lessons. They had learned to play the guitar and were continuing with their lessons, being 10 and 8 years older than me. And my sister and I both wanted to learn to play piano, and it came to a place where Mom said, all right, let's find a good piano teacher and we'll start it. And so there, when I was about nine years old, I began learning to play piano, and I assaulted it with zeal and fervor. I loved practicing. Every day it seemed like I was practicing for 15 or 30 minutes or longer, just going over the little things that I'd been taught by my piano teacher the previous, at our previous lesson, and it continued on for quite a while. I loved practicing. Of course, things would come and go that would distract me a little bit, but being fervent and zealous for learning the piano, I would make up any practice time that I missed there in those early years. But eventually, as things carried on year after year after year after year, I became distracted, and by the time high school came around, I wasn't quite as excited about my piano lessons, though I was still continuing with them, practicing and learning new songs, discovering classical pieces that I enjoyed learning to play. But there were other things competing for my attention. At that time in high school, I'd been playing trumpet in the marching band for a few years, starting in fifth grade, and I started learning other musical instruments and just learned basically every marching band instrument that we had at our high school just because I could. And that took over because I was wanting to practice those instead of piano. By the time high school got done, even though I was going on to be a music major in college for that first year before I changed, I was just losing my interest. I would practice as much as I had to to get by so that my music teacher thought I was doing something. But I could always fake it because I had just enough talent in it to make it look like I'd practiced hard, even though I only practiced like once the entire week. But eventually, by the end of my freshman year of college, I gave up. I quit playing piano. I quit being a music major. The only instrument I was interested in keeping up with was my guitar and my bass. I'd piddle around on my piano a little here and there, but... For the most part, I gave up piano and have barely touched it since then, only occasionally sitting down with a hymnal to play out a little bit of a hymn so I could remind myself of the melody. You see, there early on, I was very committed to that piano. I wanted to learn, and it's been ingrained in me how to play, so I can still sit down and open up a book of music and and work my way through one line at a time, one hand at a time. But I'll never, until I really sit down and recommit myself to playing daily, to practicing daily, will never get to where I used to be, to where I could really consistently play a song without stumbling. 
I had a commitment that waned and went away. And that's what we're seeing here today with the Corinthians. Yes, this passage deals with giving and deals with money. That's the presenting issue at the top of the passage. But beneath that, Paul is reminding them of the commitment that they had made a year prior. He reminds them that they had promised to give to the Jerusalem church when they had heard about the severe famine in Jerusalem. They had committed to do so, but they had had lots of distractions over this past year. Or however long exactly it was. That's just an average amount a year that Paul gives. Could have been a little longer, a little less, but nonetheless, there were a lot of events that happened. They had various controversies in their church. They had super apostles who had come in and were mocking Paul and putting him down and saying he wasn't worth anything. And they were struggling. They were confused. But Paul reminds them after walking through and hearing the good report from Titus that they were still committed to Paul, that they still loved Paul. He writes this letter to them, encouraging them, building them up, reminding them of his own love for them that flows out of Jesus toward them. He has been committed to them and they were committed to him and now he was calling them to fulfill the promises that they had made. But reminding them of the basis of where that commitment can come from. He says that they are to follow through. He wants them to because they have committed to it. And ultimately that when you commit to doing a good thing, it is through the grace of God that you are able to bring it to completion. They had the grace of God behind them. They had the grace of God pushing them forward. And Paul calls them to follow through, to extend the grace of God that they have received to the rest of the people, to extend it all the way to Jerusalem in their giving. And the first thing that we see happening that Paul brings up to them is to remind them of mutual encouragement in this commitment. There in verse 1, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. See, Paul is telling them about Macedonia. But do you know who committed before Macedonia to give to Jerusalem? The Corinthians. The Corinthians had already committed to give to Jerusalem, and I think Paul used their commitment to help encourage the Macedonians. And initially, he wasn't expecting that much from Macedonia. Macedonia was probably the backwater, one of the poorest areas of the Roman Empire. They had dealt with various wars and afflictions and conflicts in years past, and their economy had slowed to a halt. They might be similar in economic standing to Appalachia or the Rust Belt here in the U.S. It was just filled with poverty. People were poor, but they heard about the famine there in Jerusalem, and they had an overabundance of joy and generosity. They wanted to give. They wanted to pour out whatever they could to help the mother church in Jerusalem, to help the Jews that had become Christians, to build them up, to strengthen them physically because they had no food. They had little food because of the famine. And Paul says in that mutual encouragement of telling them about the Corinthians and their zeal to collect for Jerusalem, the Macedonians jump up and say, we want to help too. We're begging you to let us help. We know we're poor. We know we're incapable. We know we have so little. 
But we want to give as much as possible to help the believers in Jerusalem. And Paul says in this mutual encouragement to the Corinthians that the Macedonians gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They heard about what was happening in Jerusalem and they begged Paul to give. I think there's a sense here of Paul just saying, whoa, slow down. You guys have a lot of needs here in your area. You don't have to give to help Jerusalem. There are plenty of other churches that are helping to give, but they said, no, Paul, we want to give. We're dying to give to them. We want to help them. And they gave according to their means, the little that they had, but then they went beyond those means. Not by any word from Paul. Paul was just probably trying to discourage them and keep them just give within what you're able without hurting yourselves. But they went beyond, above and beyond their means of their own accord, begging Paul to take this, begging Paul to take their gift and let them be part of the relief of the saints. And how did they do this? They gave themselves to the Lord first. They sought the Lord's guidance. They committed themselves to God, to Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they then turned to Paul to take up this collection, to give to the people. And so Paul, this encouragement that the Macedonians had had in hearing about the Corinthians, now takes this wonderful story of the Macedonians and presents it to the Corinthians to encourage them to continue following through to fulfill this good thing that they had committed to. And so Paul says, We urge Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in all and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. It's all an act of grace here. It flows out of God's grace, and this grace that He has given to them is being extended to the rest of the world, especially to the believers in Jerusalem. Father Charles Erlandson commented about this passage and about all of 2 Corinthians, that so much of 2 Corinthians is focused on the Corinthians, and therefore us, being the presence of Christ in this world to bring about reconciliation, to bring about redemption, to bring about salvation. And here the Corinthians are being given the opportunity to act as Christ's presence in the world in an oh-so-tangible way. The act of giving money. The act of giving to the church in order to help others. But that is what Jesus has done. He came and acted on our behalf. And so now He calls us to act on behalf of others as His presence. For we are each united to Christ. And as His body, the, all believers are together bound up in Christ. And so as He has poured grace into us, that grace extends and overflows to others. It extends out of us and reaches out to others. And so, as Paul says in this mutual word of encouragement between the Corinthians and Macedonians, he asked Titus to urge them to complete what they were doing, to extend this act of grace that they have received from the Lord, to extend it as kindness and love and compassion toward Jerusalem. And he encourages them that they have excelled in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you. They have responded in every way to the gospel. They have been given gifts from the Holy Spirit. They have had supernatural knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures given to them. 
They've had many giftings within their congregations there in Corinth. There in Corinth. And so he encourages them, see that you excel in this act of giving as well. For you have committed yourself to these things. Excel in this too. Show forth Christ's presence to the world by giving to the church there in Jerusalem. After that mutual word of encouragement in verse 8, Paul begins with the foundation of the encouragement. Verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, his, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, the benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. You see, the foundation of the commitment is Christ Himself. We have the example of Christ first and foremost brought out there in verse 9. Paul isn't forcing the Corinthians to act. He's not making them give. But he's reminding them that they have an earnestness of others. That they want to, want to prove that genuineness of their love for the church that has come from Christ Himself. And he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he is God himself who is in the glories of the Father and the Holy Spirit. From eternity past, he has existed in the love and the glory of the Trinity. All of his riches he forsook so that he could become poor on our behalf. He became a man here on this earth so that by his poverty, mysteriously, we might become rich that we might receive all the benefits of salvation, that we would receive even the glory of Christ onto us, that we would be brought into the presence of God Himself, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we would dwell there in that everlasting glory with Jesus, that we receive all the richness that Jesus has in and of Himself poured upon us because He became poor for our sake. And by His poverty, we become rich in the glories of and the spiritual benefits of knowing Jesus, of being changed and renewed. And in this matter, he says, of this foundation, this benefits you, not only to do the work, but also that you desired to do it. There was a love in the Corinthians' hearts to extend and give, to rejoice. It wasn't just that they heard about and they begrudgingly said, okay, Paul, we'll take up a collection for these people that we've never met. But as soon as they heard, they had a deep and compelling compassion for them. That flowing out of that foundational example of Jesus becoming poor for our sake, that we would become rich. They wanted to act. Because it's not just an example that Jesus gives. It is the very lifeblood of everything that we do. It is our very salvation. Jesus' act is an effective act. It's not just a mere example. But Paul brings it up as an example, for it is an effective act that changes the Corinthians and changes us to this day and all who encounter Jesus. That they can be brought to change. That they can be renewed. And out of that renewal, we can desire to respond to the work of God and to do the work He has called us to do. For the Corinthians, they had committed to starting this work of giving out of a deep and joyous desire. They were earnest they were genuine in all that they wanted to do. And they began well. They began quickly. They began collecting and setting it aside. But then disaster struck. 
controversies happened. Other supposed apostles came in to teach and to distract and turn them from Paul and turn them from finishing what he had called them to do, accusing Paul of just collecting money for himself. And their desire and commitment waned and faltered. But Paul reminds them, you have a true desire. What you're doing is truly good because it comes out of Jesus Himself. And so now finish doing it as well. You started and you had a great desire, now finish it. Now follow through and do what you said you were going to do in order to help the church of God. Because this is God working through you for them. This is God working for them through you. Follow through so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And here, knowing about this foundation of encouragement that flows from Jesus into them and then out of them to others, he reminds them that your giving is acceptable based on what you have, not on what you do not have. In verse 13 he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter, that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul gives them a balanced encouragement here. Out of that foundation of who Jesus is, of Him becoming utterly poor to make us rich. In a sense, he says, and I know you're not Jesus. I'm not expecting you to pour out every ounce of your blood for for these Christians in Jerusalem. But you have something that they don't have. And you heard about their need. And so I'm reminding you that you give according to what you have. You pour yourself out based on what God has given to you, not according to what you don't have. As Martin Luther put it, they weren't to give that the beggars should become lords over them. Their giving should not destroy them in order that others would be so lifted up that they have no more needs whatsoever. But nonetheless, they are called to give because they have committed to it, because there is need, because we are called to love and serve our neighbor. And that is an expression of our love for Jesus and our love for His people and our love for His church. And so He reminds them, give according to what you have, not what you don't have. You have an abundance that Christ has given to you. And that abundance can be shared with Jerusalem. So that in the future when you have need, they will have an abundance and can share with you and that there will be mutual giving and mutual encouragement and mutual love for one another. So that that saying from back in Exodus would come true, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. That verse is referring to the collecting of the manna there in the wilderness. That no matter how much one person gathered, it was exactly what they needed. And no matter how little they gathered, it was exactly what they needed. And the way that this works out in this day and age, since we don't have the supernatural manna coming down to us, We share what God has given. Some have more and some have less. And shall we strive to share with one another, to encourage, to build up, to renew one another in Christ. And all of this flows out of that commitment to a good thing. That's the underlying thought here. It's not about the money. Paul wants them to give according to their need because they committed to it. 
Because they said, we want to help. We want to do this for the church in Jerusalem. And so he calls them to follow through. That's the underlying idea here. When they committed to do this thing, they had a fervent zeal for it. But there had been distractions that took them away from that zeal that was good, that was planted by the Holy Spirit Himself in their hearts. And Paul is stirring them back up, encouraging them to follow through, to give and bring their giving to a completion here. And this is about every area of our life right now. As believers, our entirety is committed to Jesus. All of who we are belongs to Jesus. We do not belong to ourselves, but to Jesus Himself. In baptism and coming to faith and walking through confirmation, we have been taken hold of by God, by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He owns us as His people. And all of who we are belong to Him, and therefore all of who we are is committed to Him. As we walk through this life, we walk through various vocations. We walk through various ways in which we can love and serve our neighbors. And we are called to give out of what we have in that. Out of our talents, out of our abilities, out of our relationships. We draw near to others and lift them up and draw them to Christ. We all have different kinds of gifts and are called to give of those gifts to the church. To give to the benefit of others, to other believers. And so we are called to follow through on our commitment to being a believer, that the Christian life is all about our entire being being poured out in all areas of our lives, depending on the Holy Spirit to increase our zeal, to increase our diligence, to increase our genuineness in everything that we do. Just as the Corinthians had genuineness of heart, we too are called to a genuineness of heart in serving our neighbor. And by serving our neighbor, we serve our Lord. But that genuineness should lead to diligence. Another New Testament commentator, Simon Kistemacher, said, Genuineness and diligence go together as two sides of the same coin. Genuineness is the norm that drives us to diligence. A genuine love should lead to a diligent pursuit. That as we genuinely love God, we will commit our entire being to Him. And let it be worked out day to day. Though we sin, though we fail at that commitment, we confess it and continue back onto that path of the Christian life, drawing near to Jesus and receiving from Him His goodness and His mercy into us. And so while it would be easy to look at this passage as all about just giving of our wealth, it's about giving of our whole being. And that includes our wealth. That includes what we have to give to the church, to help strengthen the church, to help build up the church. But it's not just money that God is interested in. He is interested in our very hearts, that our hearts be given to Him. And out of that heart, out of that love that has been placed in us, that is returned back to the Father in Jesus, we give of whatever else God has given us in this world. We begin working to give more and more to the Lord by giving to our neighbors, by giving to our fellow believers. And it is by the grace of God that we bring all of this to completion. It is by God's grace in us, His kindness, His mercy, His compassion, poured out upon us who don't deserve it. He gives us His kindness and mercy that we would be pushed forward to complete the work that He puts into our hearts, into our minds, that He reveals to us through His Word. 
He puts into us the ability to do that, that His grace would flow through us to others. He desires for us to be poured out as a thank offering before the world, just as Paul speaks of being poured out as a thank offering before all the world, bringing people to Jesus. God is working through us as the presence of Christ in this world to make Him known that His benefits of salvation and redemption that have been won in Christ can be poured out upon all of those who draw near to Christ. And so as we have drawn near, God gives us grace to keep drawing near. And that same grace sends us out to complete the work He has given us to do. Later on, after we've received communion, pay attention to that post-communion prayer. For there is the work of vocation. There is the Christian life. Send us out to do the work you have given us to do. You have appointed good works. Now send us out after giving us the body and blood of Jesus. Send us out renewed to do your work. Recommitted, rebuilt, refilled with your grace so that we can complete what you have called us to. And so may we find the encouragement here that as we have committed to Jesus, we will follow through and bring our salvation to completion in Jesus by the grace He has given us. That Jesus is our foundation. He is the one upon whom we rest and He is the one who gives us the strength to follow and to go and to complete what He sets before us. And so may we follow Jesus and know that as He became poor, we became rich and He calls us to give of ourselves that others would become rich in Jesus too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.